nothing on the board at the moment, but can everybody see the board? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You're being funny off the back there. <laughs> so um, that's good. Now I'm going to be using this board today and don't normally use a whiteboard and we went hunting for it this morning trying to find out where it was when we finally did find it, which was good. But it's going to be a lot easier for you to understand what I'm talking about if you can see, see, as it, see it as I draw it. Um, have any of you, now you don't need to answer this, just answer it to yourself, but have any of you ever said to yourself, gee, I wish I could get out of this wilderness. I feel like I'm in a wilderness. I just wish I could get out of the wilderness. Well, today, I'm going to talk about the wilderness, but it's going to be a different take. So you need to get your ears sort of, you know, active and your brains going and a whole lot of you just sort of stimulated because I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you with what the wilderness actually is. I want to talk about it from a perspective that you may never have heard before. And that's okay, I think. Because it means that we're learning more. We're, we're actually being able to perhaps see a little bit more of God, be able to experience a little bit more of God and what God wants for us. So the readings today were about the wilderness. We were looking at John, um, John the Baptist in the wilderness and preaching to, about you know, being baptised, etc. But you know that baptism stuff, that wilderness experience goes way, 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 way back. And the wilderness for the Israelites is something totally different to what we often think of the wilderness as being. In fact, I want to say that the wilderness is a good place to be. A very good place to be. Now, you might even think that, um, and we're praying for our church because you, you're needing a minister to come on board and all sorts of different things and our presbytery is being challenged. So, in a way... The whole of the Uniting Church and us included here at Penrith are in a wilderness. We don't know where we're going. We're sort of going, okay, and we feel like we might be going around in circles, just walking and walking and walking, just like the Israelites did in, in the wilderness. Where do we go? What do we do? What is this experience all about? I'm sure that's what the Israelites were thinking when they were in the wilderness. Why are we here? I know that's what they were thinking because it's recorded that that's the sort of thing that they were saying. Why are we here? Why do we have to do this? And it can be really a dilemma when you're in a wilderness. You might be in a wilderness in some other parts of your life as well. You might have financial wilderness or you may have had a financial wilderness. You may have a, a business wilderness or a, or a career wilderness where you've been trying to get things to happen the way that you would like them in your career, but they're not happening that way. And you wonder why God has not just suddenly come down and done some sort of miracle in your life to change it. You might be in a relationship or know people that are in relationship wildernesses where they don't know why things are happening the way they are with their, their, either their spouse or their children or whatever it might be. You might be in a health wilderness. You might be wondering, why am I suffering the way that I am with this health situation? Why can't I just solve it? Why can't it just be gone and why can't things change? 
Now, you don't need all of those things at once. Sometimes we can just be in one of those wildernesses. But today, I want you to hear with those sorts of things in mind. Whatever is true for you, and this church, and the Uniting Church generally in New South Wales and Canberra, listen with those ears. And hear God on this topic. As we read from Isaiah, the very beginning of Isaiah says, it's about someone crying in the wilderness. But where the inverted commas are in that passage is strange. Let me see if I can read it for you. Where did I put it now? See if I've got it actually here. I'll need to put my glasses on to be able to recount it. Because it makes a big difference where you put the inverted commas. No, that's okay. Thanks, I've got it here. That's great. I just might put it down, though, because I can't juggle everything. But it says here, in verse 3 of chapter 40 of Isaiah, it says, a voice of one calling. Then in the inverted commas, it says, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Are you getting this? It's not saying one's calling in the desert. Someone's just in the desert and they're calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. They're saying, there's one calling out that, listen to this, that when you're in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Now, I'm not making that up. That's actually there. That's what it says. It says, so when you're in the desert, that's what you're to, to learn from. It's the desert experience that where you learn. The Israelites went into the desert. They learnt about God. That's why God sent them into the desert. So they could learn about how to have a relationship with God because before that they didn't know. We've got some really interesting things that happen in the desert to, to actually tell us that that's what it was about. We have the tabernacle being created while they're in the desert. And I'm going to show you a little bit. I'd love to go into a full detail thing about the tabernacle, but I can only do a little bit about the tabernacle today, and that's what that whiteboard's for. The tabernacle was created in the desert, and that tabernacle is a description of how you get to God, how you have this relationship with God that some of us, and most of us, probably sitting here, actually desire. And then when John the Baptist, our scriptures for the today, was in the wilderness, he wasn't in the wilderness of, of you know, oh, it's, it's terrible. He was in the wilderness baptising people to go from where they were to where they could be. The potential of God. And it was in that wilderness that they were able to experience it and to know it. You see, in the wilderness, you don't have all the other distractions. The idea is that you get to a place where the distractions disappear and that when you look around and, you know, you, you're sort of seeing, you know, nothing, I suppose. But that's the good part of it. Because it's when you don't see anything that you actually get the revelation. Some of us say when um, Elijah, for instance... We talk about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Elijah sort of brought down, you know, fire and stuff from heaven and killed all these prophets of Baal and then he took off into the desert. 
And we often think, oh, what's he running away for? I believe, on retrospect, rereading that passage as I have done over the last week, that what he was doing was doing a principle, actually reenacting a principle he understood from the days of the wilderness journey of the Israelites. We're told in 1 Corinthians that we're supposed to take these passages, this so-called history, and we're supposed to look at it and we're supposed to apply it to our lives. We're supposed to learn from it because they're the stories that we're meant to learn from. Nothing has changed. They are stories still that we're meant to learn something from. And if we can see with our eyes like the Israelites saw, then we may be able to learn more than we've previously learned. So here's Elijah in the desert. And he takes off to be able to, to... and be with God. That's what he took off into the desert for, into the wilderness. He wanted to be able to experience God at a greater depth. He'd done stuff, amazing stuff, but he wanted to experience God. He understood the principles. And guess what happened? He saw, he saw thunder and he saw lightning and he saw all of these things and then he experienced the still small voice of God. The voice of God. We also have Jesus when he gets baptised by John. And here he is in the wilderness as well. He's gone out to the wilderness to have this experience. And he then goes, the interesting part here is that they go from the east to the west. And it's purposeful. Because east to the west was there because that's where the Israelites crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. So when they go from the east, I will imagine this is the east, it's probably not the east, but you know, (laughs) imagining this is the east, they crossed from the east where the wilderness was, these are the Israelites, across the Jordan, a type of baptism, into the Promised Land. Now, you might be going, but when Jesus was baptised, he went from the east, the east of the Jordan, he went into the water of the Jordan, and he went into, hello, the wilderness. So the wilderness, in a sense, was the promised land. Ah, go figure. Is this going playing games with your head? Interesting. Then we encounter some really interesting things because what we call Jesus' temptation is in fact Jesus, I would like to rename it, Jesus' experience, fuller experience of God. And we're going to look at that in a little while. I'm going to try and make this as tight as possible because those three what we call temptations are in fact things that we need to be able to experience, experiences in our wilderness. They teach us what we experience. And they're not just simple little things that you just pass away, but they are also, oh, this is so exciting. When I was was studying this, I got overwhelmed with this because, you see, those experiences that Jesus went into that wilderness to experience were also the very same things that the Israelites experienced and had to learn when they were in the wilderness. Oh, I felt like going, the light suddenly came on in my head and I went, how could I have been so dumb or not noticed this for so many years? 
It's the same stuff. So the wilderness is a very important place. Let me just show you really quickly a little bit about the, the tabernacle. Okay, this is not an exercise in drawing. <laughs> okay, we have, we have just a whole area that was set aside. Moses had been given these directions from God somehow inspirationally and um, he, he was shown what, what, how it was supposed to be. So we have an area that's set aside. Now, within this area, there are two other areas. Look, we don't know exactly whether they... We know the sizes, but we don't know whether they butt onto things or not. So I'm just going to make them not necessarily butt. We have two, two other areas here. Now, this part here, this, or this all had sort of um, like, uh, like sort of poles and, and screening off. It was screened off. But it did, this area here, which is all outside there, had no roof on it. So this was open. And this one's called the outer court. This area here, there was a... Um, a curtain across there, and this area here is called just the, the inner court. And in this area, again, there's another curtain, and this is the Holy of Holies. Now, I want to show you something here that's really interesting. This is where East is. East is over here. And so we have, we'll go north, south, that's west, and that's north, and that's south. To come into the temple, you walk, they walked in through here, everyone could come into the outer court. they come in, and then what they would discover would be, that's where all the sacrifices were made. Can you guys see that? Sacrifices were made here, and then this is the brazen, uh, brazen laver, rather, which is a big, huge thing of water. Why am I telling you this? Because this is the area of sacrifice. When the Jewish people came in, everyone could come in here, they watched this, and this was a type of River Jordan. They came in from the east, heading west, to the promised land. Where's the promised land here? The promised land is over there, the Holy of Holies. Starting to see some of this here? So this is an area of sacrifice. This area here is an area of worship. Now, there are, there are three things in this area. This area here had the altar of incense, a bit hard to see. I probably should change colours here. Hopefully you'll be able to see the different colours. Sometimes that's a bit hard, but never mind. I'll try a darkish colour. Just here is the, is the altar of incense. Over here was the um, showbread. So that was the, like representative of the manna that was given to them, or the bread of life. And then down here was the candles. And the candles represented prayer. In here, only the priests could come and they would just do all their duties. So this is the area of worship. So on behalf of all the people, all the priests would come in there and they'd do all of these things. So they'd, they'd pray, 
they'd, um, they'd offer incense for the prayers to come up. This was the light, actually, the candles also were the light of the world, the light and the inner light, the inner enlightenment uh, of a person. And then over here, the showbread, so the bread, the bread of life, God's provision, provision in the wilderness, provision from God. And then here, that altar of incense, the prayers going up to God, God was going to hear everything. Now, once a year, the, um, the high priest would go into here, the Holy of Holies, only once a year. And in the Holy of Holies, all that was there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had... Now, we could go into a lot more detail with all of this, but I, I don't want to. I just want to show and point out some special things to you here. Because they're coming in from the east, what happened then in the wilderness for the Israelites and also in Jesus' day? They came in from the east. They realised that there was a sacrifice that needed to be made. By Jesus' time, they, the sacrifices were still going. Jesus then became our sacrifice, but we're not going to Jesify it just yet. We're going to just talk about what these principles meant. But then we needed to look at ourselves. We needed to be assessed. We, that, that was actually like a great big huge mirror because it was concave and made from mirrors. When they would look into that, they would see their own reflection back enlarged. So they're looking into here and they're seeing every little detail of what is in them. And the hope is that they would then take that to God and ask for forgiveness. Okay, so, so we've got this. Some of us today are still here. But in the wilderness for the Israelites, they were meant to move from here and start to experience these sorts of things. And then in Jesus' day... A lot of the priests and a lot of the people were experiencing these sorts of things. So they were, they were praying, they understood um, God's provision and they un understood um, also so that he was the light of the world and enlightenment. They were on a path, they were on the way. Jesus is the way, remember. Now then when Jesus died, this curtain was split, um, either metaphorically or literally, in the temple, not the tabernacle. And, but the temple was set out the same way. And in access here to the Holy of Holies, of which one person, the high priest, was only able to come once a year, now was made accessible for us, all of us, all the time. But that's just the, the really brief view of, of the tabernacle. There's so much more detail to it, and I don't really want to go into it today because we don't have enough time. But to know that is really important because we've got to know where we're at. Are we here just coming out of Egypt and then into our wilderness? In here, we need to experience more. So in the wilderness, this was shown to them so that they could start to experience these things. Let me read from what happened with um, Jesus when he went out. Oops, I need my glasses though. When he went out into the wilderness. And I just want to show you something here. Excuse me with all this juggling of stuff here. But I believe it's really important. If I can get to it. We will get there.
Here we go. Okay, and this says here from Matthew, and it's Matthew chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, tempted. He knew what was going on. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Does that remind you of any years that they spent in the wilderness? And afterward, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Bread. The manna. But Jesus answered, it was written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's Jesus answering? He's telling the devil what the Israelites learnt in the wilderness. He's saying that here, you don't just live by being fed. You don't just live by having your needs met, having a house and somewhere, you know, you don't have clothes on your body. You don't just live by that, but you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That word, word there is rhema, which means the inspirational word of God. So however God speaks to you through your heart, through the, through the Bible, but speaks in an inner way, in a real way, a real way that's going to change you, that makes you different, that changes your attitude, that gives you so much more than just mere things. That's what Jesus is saying there. Interesting, isn't it? And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle at the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will give his angels charge of you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot on a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, we hear that in the wilderness, what happened was the, the uh, Jewish people, the Israelites, tempted God all the time. They kept on wanting things that they didn't have. They kept on wanting to do things. And see here, so we need to learn here that we don't do that either. That we don't get, I guess, flippant with the things that God does for us. We don't try and answer things in our own way. We don't belittle the miracle things that go on. Uh, around us. We actually listen to God and then don't harden our hearts. And then in Hebrews 3, it tells us, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, not if, but when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. That was what was happening in the wilderness. You see, they were in the wilderness, but they weren't learning the, the, the lessons of the wilderness. And on that day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They've not known my ways. So as I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter into my rest, into their So they're here, they're tempting God. They're tempting God in, in these areas here. So they're, they're tempting God with their provision. They're tempting God even with their, with their prayers. They're not even, or with their enlightenment. 
they're not even being enlightened and even their prayers are not really you know, being heard because they're not, they don't have that right attitude. So, then the third temptation in the wilderness. Hope you're following this. This is being recorded. So if, it, if you're not getting it all in once, I know it's different and I know it's sort of there's some new stuff here. So um, I'm totally aware of it. This will be up on the website so you'll be able to get it. The next temptation, and the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to, the, said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Worship. This is the place of worship. All of these things need to come together for us to get into the place of rest. So, what was John doing in the wilderness? He was showing people how to get to this place of rest. Jesus went into the wilderness to confirm all of these things in here, in this place of worship, so he could get into that place of oneness, of communion with God, knowing God so well, there was no doubt, so well that he didn't have to rely on any of these other things. This also represents the body, that re represents our soul, and this holy of holies represents our spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning's has been so intense and we understand that you are a God, though, that wants us to have revelation. We've opened our hearts to you this morning and we pray that as we go through this next week, these next days, that some of this information might just come up from our hearts, from our spirit, and be able to make sense, Lord, in our heads and in our soul so that we might not be caught in the wilderness as a place that we don't want to be but Lord that we might experience this wilderness this place where the challenges are here and around us in a whole new way that we may be people of you and not people who look at our immediate surroundings that we might rise above to be able to enter into that place of rest where you then can take charge. All those things, Lord, the personal things in our lives and the things within our church here and also, Lord, within this presbytery, we hand them over to you, doing us, Lord, a good work. Transform us, enlighten us, Make us new. In Jesus' name. Amen.